0: Bible reading, sorry, our Bible reading this morning is from Exodus 3, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw the This, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look. The Lord said, I should go to Pharaoh bring the Israelites out of Egypt.
1: Thank you, Laura. Our text is that reply of Jesus here in uh, John 8, where he says in response to those uh, questioning him, uh, the Jew is there uh, before Abraham was born, I am. Congregation of Jesus Christ, this morning, as, as we look at this text, I'd like just to pick up what Terry said in relation to, to how each of you would answer the question, who are you, and, and what you would also put there in terms of if someone asked the question even that Moses asked, who am I, who are you really, deep down, and to take hold of uh, that key answer that we are. Christians followers of Christ that's our our direction this morning and that changes everything if we have that identity as we start this morning this first day of the new year we are looking at uh, the Christ Jesus who was born at Christmas and it's always nice that that we have the big Christmas celebration and Wonderful. We still have the candles with us and the tree. And we are then thinking about, okay, who is this Jesus now? And to go into a a time of reflecting on his life and ministry. That is most clearly expressed to us in the Bible, in the Gospels. And so on this year, 2014, we are going to dig into the Gospel of John. John, in his gospel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, takes a little different focus than the other three gospels. John, instead of... uh, Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they they have strongly emphasized the sense of the kingdom of God coming. In Jesus, the kingdom of God breaks in as a fulfillment of... Of God's mission to the world through the nation of Israel. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have many kingdom parables. You likely are familiar with the parables of Jesus. You find them mainly in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so you know some of the parables, the sower and the seed. The kingdom of God is like a sower who went out to sow. Or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows into a great tree. Or the kingdom of God is like a field where there's wheat and weeds and God brings the growth. All beautiful parables about the kingdom. You don't find any of those parables in John. Not one. John stresses, not so specifically the kingdom, though it's there definitely, but the king, Jesus. That's his emphasis. The fact that Jesus is truly God, the person of Jesus, especially in that sense, that he is God come to see, one with the heavenly father, to be worshipped and obeyed. The question comes up, in our culture, who is Jesus? Some of the scholarship, the modern scholarship, comes back to that often. The historical Jesus. Who was Jesus? Oh, he was a good man. Oh, he was a great teacher. Oh, he set a wonderful example that we should follow. But he wasn't God. That's beyond the general accepted understanding. Yet Jesus makes that claim. No other central faith figure declares they are God, not Buddha, Muhammad, only Jesus. And the whole Christian faith rests on that claim that Jesus says he is truly God. And this vital emphasis comes to us most clearly in the Gospel of John and especially in the I Am statements of Jesus. They are not found in the other Gospels. In John, Jesus declares over and over that he is God. And he does it using these I Am statements that he makes about himself. And again, I I just want to Tweak your memory. You know a lot of these. These are familiar to us. Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. In John 8, I am from above. John 9, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the gate or the door. And again, I am the good shepherd. John 10, he actually says, I am the son of God, verse 36. He says in John 15, I am the true vine. And in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. August Limus preached on that last Sunday. And our text this morning, John 8, verse 58. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus saying, very clearly that he is God. Now, looking at this list, you might just say, yeah, what what is that? Really, he, he is not really saying, I am God. That's a nice list, but he's talking about bread and light and a door and a shepherd. And so, apart from maybe that statement, he is the son of God, he's not really making a grand claim, is he? You need to realize that it's not the bread and the light and the shepherd that's the claim. It's, it's the I am. It's those little, two little words. When he says, I am, that's where the claim is, identifying himself. I am. And that goes back to the Hebrew. When Moses receives the name of God, then God says, I am who I am. That's my name. And that is, in the Hebrew, Yahweh, Jehovah. That's, that's the Hebrew word for I am. And that's the word that gets used for God's name, Jehovah God. That connection by Jesus is to Exodus 3, and that is stressed most emphatically in our text when he takes that, that, that Hebrew term, but then he uses it in the Greek, I am, ego, I me is the Greek, and it's, it's striking, it's startling there too. It's unusual that he would say it so strongly. He is very specifically, clearly taking the name of God on himself. And the name of God is to be honored. We looked at the first commandment. You have to honor the name and you can't, You and he takes it on himself. And he says, this is who I am. A clear taking of the name and so so that's his claim in all of these i am statements as well true god jesus says i am true god from of old and we celebrate at christmas that reality too all of our christmas celebration was the fact that god came true god came in jesus that's what we believe that's what we confess As God, Jesus comes. We're going to be looking at at what that means overall in different ways. But this morning, very specifically, just looking at that initial sense of Jesus coming as the I am, we are going to just focus in on the fact that Jesus comes to give us our identity. That's one way the reality of him being true God influences us, changes us. When we see his true identity, then we receive our true identity. I am a Christian, a believer in Jesus. So we want to look at that this morning. Jesus as God gives you and me our identity. We see that already in Exodus chapter 3 where you find Moses, the man of God, and he is lost in the wilderness. Moses is wandering in the wilderness of Midian, taking care of the sheep of Jethro, his father-in-law. This is Moses, who was that miraculous child saved by God out of the Nile. This is Moses who knows his background. He knows his, his people in slavery, who has been raised in Pharaoh's court, who is ready, by God's grace, to deliver the people. And he's tried once when he killed the Egyptian, but, but he's gone. He's, he's lost. He doesn't know who he is anymore. He, is, he has really missed his identity. He doesn't understand who he is. And so in Exodus 3, God gives him, uh, gets his attention here with the burning bush, the reminder that God is present and powerful. And then in Exodus Exodus 3, verse 10, God says very clearly to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh. To bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. To to save them, to redeem them, to bring them out. And so Moses is reminded of who he is. When he sees who God is, he's reminded of who he is. He is the one sent to deliver. That's who he is. Because God, the great I am, the ever-present one, is doing great things and has given Moses this task, this identity. It's fun to see how Moses responds when it says in verse 11 of Exodus 3, God uh, Moses asks, who am I? And that's exactly the question we need to be confronted with and just wrestle with. And Moses is wondering, who am I? I'm, I'm just a shepherd out here in the middle of the desert. No, you're not. You are an instrument of God to bring redemption to his people. And so Moses receives his identity, his life, in fact, as God, the great I am, by grace, gives him that name. And it's huge, the name of God, that power of God, all is invested there. And so Moses takes hold of that and he has that sense about him for the rest of his life. Who are you, Moses? I am the one sent by God to deliver his people. He knows that now. He is a changed man. And God is doing great things through him. That's what the difference is when you and I understand who God is, who Jesus is, that changes our lives. In the Old Testament, you have those references to Yahweh, God, the great I Am. And in the Gospel of John, chapter, 5, chapter 8, when it says here in our text, verse 10, before Abraham was born, Jesus says, I am The Jews there recognized all of the Old Testament things. They recognized Moses and the name of God. I am who I am. And, And they received that statement as a powerful statement where John 8, 58, Before Abraham was born, I am. And they understood Jesus was explicitly claiming the fact that he was God. Standing right there in front of them, in human form. That's difficult to believe. An outlandish claim. Jesus prefaces it by stressing how noteworthy his statement is. He does that at different points, but here again, very truly, or truly, truly, I say to you, I am truly God, come to save. He says that in the context of Abraham. They have mentioned Abraham in in their discussing with him about faith and and things of truth and right. And so he responds to the reality of Abraham, the example of Abraham. Jesus here makes the point that in contrast to the fleeting life of Abraham, Abraham lived 175 years, we, we read in Genesis 25, verse 7. That's a long time. In contrast, Jesus is timeless, eternal God. And and the stress is, is there in the statement before Abraham was. He was. He lived a short time a long ago. Jesus is saying, I am God. I exist eternally. And that statement, that essence of God's eternal presence, is very much part of the sense of saying, I am. I am present always, through all time, forever living, eternal God. That's Jesus' claim. And that, that is simply a, a, an unfolding of what we read in the Gospel of John, in John 1. One of the most familiar aspects of John, John one. 1 in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, being Jesus, in the beginning, eternally, Jesus was eternal. That's the message of the Gospels, of the Gospel of John especially. Jesus is eternal God. And that reality expressed through this statement here continues to work itself out in the life of Abraham. So Jesus is saying he was present before Abraham was born. He is God. And he adds, verse 56, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He it and was glad. Jesus is building on the sense of, of, of his eternal presence and power. When, when you think about the life of Abraham, remember the story of Genesis 18? In Genesis 18, it says, The Lord, that's Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D, the great I Am, Lord, appeared to Abraham near the great tree of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent. In the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Abraham received... Heavenly visitors before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19 verse 1 tells us two were angels, but the third was God in human form, that is Jesus, the eternal living God from of old. Abraham saw it again when he took his son Isaac and was ready to sacrifice him on the altar on Mount Moriah in obedience to God. And in Genesis 22, his son is spared with these words of hope. Genesis 22, verse 8. God himself will supply the lamb. Jesus, John says in John 1:29. John the Baptist describes Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, so Jesus is, is saying in our text the sense of, of his presence was already evident there as we can see in the life of Abraham. And that reality of his, his living, saving presence now coming to fulfillment in his birth at Christmas and his life in ministry as described in the Gospel of John. Jesus is true God come to save. With the I am statements of Jesus, the application is always, do we receive Jesus as the one he claims to be? Do we fully embrace him as true God, as the Lord of our lives? In the account here, the Jews did not. It says in verse 59, they picked up stones to stone him because people who claimed to be God were committing blasphemy, and in Leviticus 24 it says, they deserve to die, because God is holy and separate. But here God comes, as he promised, in Jesus. And so, how do we receive him? It's interesting, later on, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? As interesting as worded that way. Who do you say that I am? Hint, 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 hint. I am. And Peter gets it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, true God, the one who's honored and worshipped and praised. That, That confession needs to be our confession. Do we get it? The great God comes to us. So when we are asked, who are you? We have a, a clear understanding. We have an identity. That we are not just a father, husband. That we are not some sense of, of, of yeah, ethnicity, Dutch, Canadian. And it makes a difference too. Who you say you are. Think, think politically. If you say I am conservative. I am liberal. I am NDP. You are are presenting something about yourself that, that changes people's perception of who you are and what you stand for. So it's very important that you are clear in terms of, oh, I am this. I'm not that. What are you? I am is a vital question so to respond i am a christian a christian husband like terry said a christian father a christian person a christian a follower of christ is to see jesus as the true god to put our trust our faith in him and to seek to live that out because it makes all the difference if you ask me who i am that the response would be i am a believer in jesus I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I live and die in the joy and confidence of that confession. Let me give you an example of what a difference that makes. I wanted to share, uh, to start this series and end this message with an example I heard already this summer uh, when I went to the preaching conference in Grand Rapids, and I wasn't aware of this at all beforehand. There is in the united states many prisons the worst prison in the united states reputation wise is the angola maximum security prison in louisiana it's about an hour from uh, new orleans it's a prison that has 5,000 maximum security inmates all men and they are all in there with multiple life sentences. So of the 5,000 in there, 98% will die in there. It was known as the most violent, the bloodiest prison because the 5,000 men in there, they have nothing to live for. And it's its just, yeah, rough, tough. And the the picture of The brutality of that whole setting between the guards trying to keep control of these men, as well as the men with themselves. The the stories are are horrific and, and many deaths, many injuries where even in your cell, if you have your cellmate, then then the one stays up even in the cell just to protect you at night, and you take turns watching out for each other, and it's it was just awful. This prison is uh, a situation it was going down and down and down until uh, Warden Burl Kane was installed as the, the warden there. Other wardens had just given up. And he took over, 1995. And here he is. I have just a one-minute clip of an idea, a totally outlandish idea that came to him. Do we have that, actually, uh, Daniel? Here he is. Warden Burl Kane, Do we have him? He's a Christian man.
0: Soon after Cain's arrival, government grants for prison college courses were discontinued. Congress viewed prison education as a needless expense. No money, no education. Cain saw this obstacle as an opportunity, an opportunity for real reform. So sitting right here in his house at the table, I would complain about no higher education. And so Brother Terrell said, well, why don't you get
1: Dr. Kelly from the Bible college? I bet he would do you a Bible college.
0: And as they were talking over coffee, they just started talking about the lack of educational opportunities and how that created an absence of hope.
1: Here was an old country boy desperate,
0: and so call on the Lord. That's kind of a cheap thing because you ought to call on him all the time. You shouldn't
1: wait until you get desperate.
0: And the director of missions said, well, maybe New Orleans Seminary would come in here and do some training for them to know how to be ministers.
1: And I said, you lost your mind. He wouldn't do a Bible college in prison. He said, oh, I believe he would. I said, why don't you ask him?
0: They contacted us and asked if we would do it. And uh, we took a deep breath and uh, said a prayer to God and jumped
1: in. New Orleans Seminary, Bible College. Started a four-year seminary program in the worst prison in all of the United States. They, they simply came in, and, and they took these men who had the identity of, yeah, we are, we are violent, worthless, useless criminals. That was their identity. And they, they brought them into... The gospel, faith, relationship, and, and the, 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 the classes too. The, the only language that's taught in the Angola prison is Hebrew. <laughs> you can take a Hebrew course there because you would be part of the seminary and you would be part of training to be a pastor and they they have classes and and the the people who who actually get in have to demonstrate a, a real desire to be there and and they the seminary professors who go there are yeah you are confronted with rapists and murderers and everything and they open the bible together and the program is full four years and the students there they graduated the first class 144. That's a little symbolic too, isn't it? It's pastors in that prison, and so so. What what do you think? What what's the identity of this men? What's the identity of this people? It's changed. There, if you get a chance, you should check uh, check Angola Prison, Louisiana. There's there's a number of different uh, video clips. I could have shown you, yeah, an hour or two. There, there are, the, the guys are interviewed. There's one guy, too, just just a horrible, horrible man. He, and, and he is there transformed because he is now no longer a horrible, horrible man. He's a Christian. I am a Christian. And, and boy, oh boy, he is just filled with the light and love of Jesus. And what does that do? Well, in the prison, there are gangs. Every prison has gangs. In Angola, the gang leaders in the prison are the pastors. <laughs> they have Bible studies. And the violence in the prison has dropped by 75%. There's still some stuff, but it's, it's huge. And, and people can come in, and, and visitors and the guards can talk with the prisoners, and there's a sense of, of just, who am I? The prisoners are understanding, too, that in Jesus, they are, they are changed. They are new. They have purpose. They have, though they're going to die in that prison, they're completely changed. Amazing. One of the seminary professors who teaches there was the guy who led the preaching conference that I went to, John Rotman. And he's there again right now. This week he's down there. And he's there with Josh Friend, who is the new assistant at Red Deer First. Pastor Gary Baumhoff has a new assistant, uh, a seminary graduate, Josh Friend, And Josh is at Angola this week. And they're teaching the prisoners there. They're taking one of the courses. And it's, it's amazing. It's how can that happen? Because the living God can enter into even the worst situation and make all the difference. One of the other things, after a while, uh, there, this goes on, to this particular clip, and then Burl Cain, he has a problem because he has 144 pastors running around the prison and he at a certain point, he says, too many pastors. <laughs> too many pastors. So, so what does he do? He approaches the Louisiana State Correctional Institute head, and the guy is videoed too. He's on there and he says too, I want to send my pastors as missionaries to other prisons. He what are you thinking? I mean, that doesn't happen, right? These guys are awful. You don't want to ever let them out. I want to send them two by two as missionaries, to other prisons. And that's going on. That's happening right now. And they go to other prisons, and they sit down with the Bible, and they talk to the other prisoners. And the rate of violence, the rate of anger, the rate of of just trashing prisons is is going down and down and down. And, And why? Because of the living God living Lord Jesus who enters in very personally into people's lives and changes them, And they say no longer, I'm a violent prisoner. No, they say, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. And they demonstrate that. One final thing. I don't know if you uh, saw in the banner. Um, it, it ties into our church even more because the newest Christian Reformed church In the last banner, did you read the December banner? Everybody, actually, all church members should get it free, right? They send it to you at home. If you don't get the banner, just let me know, and you will get it sent to you. We have a new Christian Reformed Church. It's called the Cornerstone Christian Reformed Church. Is it here? Here it is. South Dakota State Penitentiary. If you want to go and worship with a fellow Christian Reformed congregation, you can go here. It's an official, an absolutely official, with pastors and elders and deacons, Christian Reformed Church in the South Dakota State Penitentiary. And they've about 100 members, and they worship like we are this morning, and they serve the Lord Jesus, humbly and thankfully. In that prison, and their, <coughs> their statement is, we are free on the inside. Free on the inside. <laughs> That's their motto, hey? Yeah, they're in prison. They're not free, but they're free. They're changed. They're new. That sense of, of serving the powerful living life. just two examples of as, as we just in our lives, yeah, These are extreme examples, amazing examples. But just, just to share with you, too, and we can share our own lives, that sense of when we recognize Jesus as true God come into this broken world to save sinners and to guide and lead us, that makes all the difference. Let's pray together.